Welcome to The Pickup. I'm your host, Will Lewis, and today we have the venerable Mike Vendetti of Audiobooks with Mike Vendetti as our guest. Welcome, Mike. Well, it's really great to be here, Will. Fantastic. How are you today? I am just uh, just, just better than I should be out here in uh, beautiful downtown Florence, Colorado. Oh, really? How's the weather out there? Well, five minutes ago it was fine, but it can change that quickly. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so you could be in the middle of a blizzard by the time we finish this interview, huh? That has happened. Oh, okay. Well, strap on your snowshoes, Mike. Here we go. All right, I'm ready. (laughs) So, Mike, you've narrated over 300 audiobooks and won numerous awards for your narration. How'd you get started in voice acting? The way I got started in voice acting was I was an auctioneer for... 20 years after I'd worked about 20 years as a sales engineer in the Silicon Valley. And uh, working as an auctioneer, I never met a a microphone that I didn't love. And, uh, you know, so when I retired as an auctioneer, I was looking for something along the same line. You know, and when you move from an area as an auctioneer, it's very difficult to... uh, get started again unless you are a contract auctioneer doing automobile auctions or something like that flying cross country and didn't want to do that so I uh, started looking for things that I could do as a uh, uh, I had my microphones and I started looking for things that I could do as a narrator or a microphone person and at the time that I got into doing audiobooks you know I, I went to the uh, paper uh, for your audition uh, thing and I actually I got a couple of really really good jobs that way. They were uh, more or less long term jobs. Matter of fact, I still have one of them, but uh, it gradually petered out. And uh, audiobooks were available, so I started recording on LibriVox and kind of learned how to do it. And one day I was doing Think and Grow Rich, and I got myself motivated. And I called Audible.com, and they got back to me. And there was a very, very small window where you could get a contract with Audible.com. That was kind of between when they were just getting started and when they came with uh, ACX. And uh, when they started, when they came up with ACX, they pretty much quit giving out contracts like that. But I have a contract with Audible.com, and I... Yes, I have done uh, 300, about 300 audiobooks, but a lot of them are short stories, so um, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm doing a long-term narration. You know, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. So that's pretty... And when I first got my contract, uh, there were lots of jobs, apparently, in radio and voiceover work and so forth, and uh, audiobooks were kind of the bottom of the pile, and... Uh, you know, your voices didn't really want to get into doing that type of thing. But as audiobooks became more and more popular, uh, more and more big names started doing audiobooks. So mm-hmm. here I am. Well, I can tell you right now that, Mike, you you have the voice of a movie trailer announcer. You just have that that, that, that resonance, that, that, that very low, bassy, warmy, hot chocolate drinking type voice. Well, thank you very much. In a world. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. G- g- give us a line there. G- give us your best movie movie trailer in a world for our listeners real quick. In a world where a primitive band of humans, the survivors of 40 generations of a crashed liner, struggle to survive on a planet where giant insects rule. Don't miss. Oh, I want to go. I want to go see that movie. <laughs> you want to go see that movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not the matinee. I'm talking about the full-blown evening price. That's what I want. Well, you know, what's funny, I, I just had that in front of me because it's, uh, you know, with my audiobook publishing, it's... Uh, that is actually from the Forgotten Planet, by uh, oh. by Murray Leisner, and okay. uh, that is the uh, book description. You know, going into it. So I had a line. I'm I'm kind of like the uh, the Ted on uh, the uh, Mary Tyler Tyler Williams show. Remember him, the guy that uh, couldn't think but he could talk. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, that's me. <laughs> So you used to be an auctioneer. I mean, is that a high stress job? I mean, because you, 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 you can't. I, I imagine that you have to be able to think on your feet, and you can't stumble over your words, and you've got a, a whole audience list, you know, hanging on everything you say. I mean, is it, 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 am I describing this accurately, or, or, or was it a little different? Well, you know, actually, you know, uh, an auctioneer, you know, it's changing. Uh, you know, you can watch somebody doing something, and you say, "I could do that. I could do that." And so I went to auctioneer school, and I got a, uh, I got a third grade education, which is about as high as you can get in the school. And then it's learning how to do it. And the only way you learn how to do it is to do it. And nobody's going to let you do it because you don't know what you're doing. And uh, <laughs> uh, the old catch twenty two. Yeah, it it really is. It's a very it's well, it's like voiceover. Uh, voiceover is a, you know, people will tell you, say, well, you've got a great voice, you know, you like what you just told me. Well, that, that doesn't really get it handled. Uh, you've got to be uh, pretty much an actor and so forth. And uh, uh, same thing with auctioneering. And auctioneering is, uh, you know, what you hear when you hear the auctioneer, it's a, uh, a number and a filler word followed by a number. You know, it's what I have, what I want. I'm at 75 <laughs> right. now. Would he give me 80? Would he give me 80 dollar bid now? Would he give me 5? 85 dollar bid now? Would he give me 90? I'm 90 here now, 95. Also, yeah. the idea is just to fill in space between the numbers. Yeah, it's between the numbers. You're just talking numbers. But the, the difficulty, you know, one of the, I had a revelation one day when I was doing a car auction that somebody could interrupt me and... I could come back to where I was because it's like a song. Like when I was talking to you, I was at 80, asking for 85. And it's just something that uh, after it's, it's like a, a tune that runs through your head over and over again. And you go, you got, you have different number increments, but they're typically based on five. You know, five, the, you know, you go by tens, uh, 25s, whatever. And it's, it's counting by the numbers and it's what I have, what I want. Very simple thing. And it's uh, it's the rhythm, and it's like singing. I could do auctions all day long, and uh, I never got particularly stressed out uh, doing auctions. I'm kind of like a, something I saw at the restroom at uh, Fort Ord, but the uh, light infantry division. It's uh, too light to fight and too dumb to run. Well, I just if it was too dumb to run. I went out there and went with it. <laughs> <laughs> now, very quickly. Off the top of your head, the funniest thing that ever happened to you during an auction? Uh, well, you know, one of the funniest things, my ex-wife used to help me with the auction. 
And you know, when you when you get into auction, you're you're pretty much in the zone and you're you're doing your thing. And this wasn't really well it's funny later, but I mouthed off about something and she was clerking and she quit. Right there. In the middle of the auction. In the middle of the auction. Hey, goodbye. <laughs> Hey, where, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Come back here. <laughs> uh, 25, 25, you can come back for 20, 25, Come back to me right now. i give you that. Was it something like that? <laughs> and say, hey, 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 don't leave me now. Don't leave me now. <laughs> okay, yeah. That, oh, well, you know, that that's the test of a true professional, right? The unexpected, the well, impromptu. Well, yeah, you know, and, and you, get the, you get the impromptu. It's like... Uh, uh, losing your PA or, uh, whatever. It just, uh, you know, I, I was just, uh, you know, very, very fortunate it was, uh, uh, like everything else. It's like with the voiceover and so forth, you eventually find a niche that, uh, you belong in. And, uh, I sold junk. I did, uh, household goods, personal property, stuff like that. And eventually, I uh, got this deal selling impounded vehicles for the city of San Jose. And city, uh, San Jose back then would impound about 500 vehicles a week. And uh, that's where I really, really just love doing it. And the thing is with auctions, you know, it's uh, there's a uh, an auctioneer named Leroy Van Dyke. Uh, if you're old enough, you'll remember a song he did called The Auctioneer. And Leroy said, uh, do something so, let's see, do something you love to do so much you do it for free, but do it so well you get paid to do it. And that's the way I felt about auctions. I just, uh, uh, well, I can remember as a little kid, there was a guy named Speed Riggs, and he did uh, a tobacco auction. And I never could do a tobacco auction, and they don't do tobacco auctions any longer. But uh, he had, they had this show, uh, Brought to you by Lucky Strike Cigarettes, and his they do the auction chant every time you you went into that, and it was just uh, every, every kid in town was trying to do it. You know, it's uh, it uh, what he would do. He'd set in the like the you know tobacco uh, auctions. It was like sell for thirty five dollars a bale, and pretty much you, they know what the price are, and he'd set it at thirty five. Thirty five, there's old American. You know, and it just, you can't understand where he is. I think he sold it at uh, $36 or something like that, but just selling to American Tobacco Company. But it's a rhythm of it. It, uh, just, yeah. just love it. Right. Now, Mike, you did a tour in Vietnam. One tour, two tours? I did, did I did 20 days in Vietnam. Uh, 20 days. 20 days. I was, uh, you know, it, it's like my, uh, military career. I can give you a brief history of that. I sure. was, uh, you know, I grew up during the era of the draft. I graduated from high school in 1959. Uh, was flunking out of the University of Minnesota, and a friend I knew got drafted, and I figured, oh, man. So I was going to go down and join the Air Force, but the Air Force guy was at lunch. So I talked to the <laughs> Army guy, and... Uh, Their loss. Yeah, well, no, not. It was actually, I talked to the Army guy and uh, he said, here, sit down and take this test. You know, no pressure on anything. Well, next thing I knew it was at Fort Carson, Colorado. And, uh, March, <laughs> that must have been the ASVAB, I guess. Yeah, whatever, you know. It's, but uh, <laughs> uh, I did a tour, actually, in, in Bangkok, Thailand, which was really, really great. You know, it's a 
Uh, it was before Vietnam started. It was kind of cooking then. Mm-hmm. And uh, only problem with being in at that particular place, which is called Just Mag, they weren't authorized any PFCs, and I was a PFC, and I couldn't get promoted, and I was that really bothered me. So I applied for OCS and went to OCS, and that was a uh, really a uh, growth experience for me. And what's OCS? Officer Candidate School. Okay. And uh, I remember uh, Barry Goldwater was running against LBJ at the time. And LBJ said, There isn't going to be any of our boys set foot on foreign soil if I have anything to do with it. Well, half of my class went to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, and the other half went to, uh, not Fort Benning, went to uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. And a large part of them went to the uh, 25th Infantry Division. And those were the two divisions that were being built up to go to uh, Vietnam. And uh, I went there as a uh, as a unit, you know, our, our uh, battalion, our brigade went over there. It's uh, actually on a boat. And uh, getting off the boat, do you remember uh, Private Ryan? I do, yes. Well, you see, I'd seen the World War II movies, and they brought us ashore on a landing craft. And... Uh, the really smart thing they did was take our ammunition away from us. And I could just picture the uh, front part of that landing craft going down, just like Private Ryan, you know, going through the water and the rounds going over your head. Mm-hmm. Well, here was the 1st Infantry Division band. But, you know, just you do really dumb things when you're a new guy, and we were a whole division of new guys and uh, I only lasted 20 days we were chasing a sniper and it's going to last well I died it was interesting I felt the mind go off it was fortunately not a uh, it was just an anti-personnel device and I was if I would have been over two feet to the right it would have gone off right under me and that was lucky and uh, I was out of Vietnam for uh, for good of course and in uh, that was that happened in October, and in February, uh, my replacement I went to OCS with him was killed along with uh, a good part of my platoon. So it was just uh, you know it's kind of like uh, little things you look at the the Air Force recruiter being gone and uh, for lunch, and I ended up mm-hmm. in Vietnam. You know, but uh, it was not a bad thing. It uh, for me. You know, it's uh, it was a real growth experience, I guess you kids could say. But uh, so let me recap this, and please correct me where, where I'm wrong. You you signed up for the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went. You you did your tour in Thailand, Bangkok, mm-hmm. Thailand, mm-hmm. and you ended up shortly after going to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. You were you you were with your company and 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 you guys were I guess you were on the ground crawling on the ground. Well, we were actually on the ground. It was like uh, there were three VC across a, a rice paddy from us, okay. and uh, the school solution then we didn't know any better was to uh, put the platoon online and uh, give them all the firepower you had and go after them. And uh, that's what we did. And it was just a, you know, a obvious ambush. They figured out how they were going to uh, deal with us, which they did. And uh, 
see, I was, I think I was the only one that ended up going home out of the group that got injured. But uh, they sure outsmarted so, us. So you, yeah, you were advancing on these three VCs across a rice paddy and an anti-personnel device very close to you went off. Well, you know, so it's, somewhat- it, it, it's like, uh, you know, my, my memory of that is kind of backwards because I, I, I'm, it's like, you know, you're, you're uh, film going backwards. I, uh, I remember thinking, oh, you better fall down. And then it kind of backed up and I felt the uh, mine go off next to me. And I looked down at the toe of my boot, didn't blow my leg off. And there was a piece of uh, combo wire against across the toe of my boot. And I knew exactly what I'd done. And uh, it was, that was kind of the kind of day when everything went wrong. It was just like, uh, I woke up, I couldn't find my helmet. I had to borrow the XO's helmet. And it had a big gold bar on it. And, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I got... It's the uh, first time we ran into these three VC. They shot at us, and uh, this is the first time we'd been fired on. And uh, put the platoon online, and then I heard this whizzing in front of me. And there was a guy with a machine gun on the other platoon that was firing across the front of my platoon. So I stopped. The captain chewed me out. And uh, another thing that it's like, you go back on these things and say, oh my god, because we were going through uh, before that happened. Uh, we were in a part of the. Uh, I guess you call it jungle in Vietnam. And here was this 1,000-pound uh, bomb at, that hadn't gone off. Hmm. And we're up there looking at it. Well, you know, if they had it wired right, they would have blown up the whole platoon or the whole company at that time. And uh, that was just a fortunate thing. And uh, So it landed on your position? No, it didn't land. It, it was something that, that had gone off somewhere else, and the VC oh, okay. had hauled it Got off it. to uh, work on it. And, uh, you know, one of their favorite things was to bury one of those thousand pound bombs in the, uh, in the road. And, uh, you know, you get a convoy going over it and then set it off. One of the, you know, one of the audio books I did, uh, called The Art of War by Sun Tzu was written. I I heard that. I I listened to that. Yeah. Did you? Well, that was, uh, that, that is the blueprint for what's happening now and what happened in Vietnam and, uh. What happened uh, in all the wars after that? It just it, you get just drawing us into a quagmire that we can't get out of. Yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, I tell you, it just uh, it's you know you're you're we're such a disadvantage. It's kind of like the big guy, you know, and this little guy picking on him, you know, and he can't hurt him, but uh, it's because he's bigger than he is. But boy, I tell you. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like you don't have to win a war; you just have to make the other guy lose it. Well, you, there, there's no more wars. I mean, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, I I, don't, I almost got smacked up the side of their head by a lady marine when I was at the VA the other day, and I, you know, I said to her, he says, you know, the last, and I can say this because I was in one of those wars, but I says, you know, the last guy that def- died defending his country died in 1945, and. Uh, you know, since then we haven't had you know somebody saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna take over your country. You're gonna speak it. Be speaking our language before you know it." And you know they got really smart. They don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, you know, and plus now you've got uh, a situation where you we have a professional army. Uh, they call it a volunteer army, but it's you know being in the military. 
is uh, these guys earn above the uh, median wage. If you take the median wage of the military and compare it with the median wage of uh, civilians, it's a good job. You know, it's, it's hard to find jobs now. And mm-hmm. that, is a, that is a job that pays well. And uh, once these guys get into it, they can't really pull out. Uh, they got car payments, stuff like that, and they're making good yeah. money. And uh, what they're doing in the military doesn't always transfer over to uh, civilian life. You know, just right. think about the guy that uh, was a sniper and ends up uh, changing tires at Walmart, you know. Yeah, he, it's not a good fit. Well, you know, it, it's like, you know, you think of the, to what these guys have done. You know, you, you, I'm kind of on the edge of things. You know, you'll find guys that... Uh, will not talk about their military experience. And uh, it's, it's just, it, it, it is, I didn't, I didn't get there. I didn't go there. I didn't have that experience. But those that did find that they cannot relay to uh, civilians what they did. I mean, they, they can tell them what they did, but they can't understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's... Uh, there's a, I read a very, very good book. I can't forget who, I forgot who wrote it, but it's called What It's Like to Go to War. And uh, it's very well written. The guy that wrote it was a lieutenant of the Marines in Vietnam and uh, also a Rhodes Scholar, you know, and it just, uh, mm-hmm. and it took, you know, it took the Vietnam guys a long, long time to adjust to, you know, what, they, what they'd been through because uh, for the most part, it didn't happen to me, but for the most part, they came back to just a terrible, terrible situation. You know, I can remember seeing an E-4 in the uh, San Francisco airport and he had, uh, you could tell by his, what he was, he was wearing his class A's, but you could tell they'd been hanging in a locker for a year because they were all covered with that red dust that was in you know, so prominent in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. and he had the thousand-yard stare, and here he is. He's in the airport in San Francisco. I mean, you know, just dump him off, and there you go. And that guy, probably 24 hours earlier, you know, had been in a situation where he could have died. And it, uh, you know, the uh, Vietnam veteran, you know, he was... uh, You've got the wall now and so forth, you know, and people come and say, thank you for your service. And I will tell them, typically, I said, well, hey, you're welcome, but I was well paid. And uh, (laughs) you're a little late, but. uh, (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, and uh, of course, everything you do, it just, uh, it it gives you something to work on later on. And. you know, just, uh, you know, like you take the World War II guys. I mean, 90% of them, they got out and they they went to work and, uh, you know, they, they never forgot about it. But they uh, they just did their job. You know, I read a book by Charles Sweeney. And Charles Sweeney was uh, 24 years old when he flew the B-29 Mm-hmm. that uh, dropped an atomic bomb on Nagasaki. And you think, 24 years old, and he was flying a B-29, 
And how many guys are 24 years old and working at Burger King today? But, you know, those guys in World War II, what they did, I mean, it's just, I had a neighbor, and he was a uh, bombardier on a B-24 and uh, was stationed in England. And he told me, you know, I mean, this, this is just a casual thing with him. He says, you know, there was, uh, we had a mission, and the first three planes in front of us crashed on takeoff, and we were next, and they canceled it. You know, but, you know, and it's like some, you know, it, it, it's just, you, you never, you don't have, there's no rhyme or reason as to what happens. You know, you could have been the best pilot in the world, could be flying your aircraft and you get shot down. I had a friend that I'd have breakfast with. He was an amputee and also a uh, POW. And a lot, most of these guys that were in the Air Force and so forth got into the fight in 1943 because it took that long to train them, even though they went in in 1941 and joined the Air Force, mm -hmm. and his first mission, he got shot down. You know, I mean, just, uh, you know, whereas my neighbor Bob, he went through 36 missions. And, of course, both of them lived to talk about it, but uh, just, uh, you know, it's really hard to imagine what they went through in World War One. As a matter of fact, one of the audiobooks I did was called Jump Commander, and... Uh, it was a, it was a, a guy's grandson actually wrote it. He drew it out of his grandfather, you know, because he knew that, that he, he was one of these guys that wouldn't talk about it. And finally he got the story, and, I mean, it was just phenomenal. You know, that, that's one of the great things about doing audiobooks is that you get to read some things that you would never think about reading. Right. But, I mean, here this guy was with the uh, 101st Airborne and jumped into uh, Normandy. Matter of fact, he jumped not only into Normandy, he jumped into Africa, Normandy, and, uh, you know, he was injured on one of the, one of the jumps or, you know, and, but I mean, you just the, uh, the things those guys went through, I mean, it's unbelievable. But anyhow, we're kind of getting off voiceover here and that- uh, Well, no, that's okay, because I'm enjoying this conversation. Mm -hmm. And when you speak of uh, soldiers getting shot down on their, on their mission, you know, in their flights and war it reminds me of this story I read several years ago, this book about Lance Sijon. I know you've heard about him. Into the Mouth of the Cat. He was an Air Force pilot who got shot down in Vietnam. And I mean, mm -hmm. the book yeah. was just, it, it was it was an amazing story. And how he, he, even though, you know, he ended up getting captured after he got shot down, but, and his, le his leg was broken and he was, horribly injured but he never stopped trying to escape you know you know that that is that is the thing you know there are two things that i really really feared uh when i was you know because i I started out i was a transportation movement control specialist you know running a kind of a remington raider you know i was a clerk typist and then i decided to go into the infantry and uh, you know different things you you worry about of course you're 24 years old you don't worry about much in 24 but uh uh it was being one of them was being captured you know i just really feared becoming captured because you know it's uh like i had a nco in my platoon when i was at fort riley who had been captured in korea and he told me he says you know you you when those guys want to know something you tell them and uh 
it's you know it it it, it just it, I I can't explain it really, but I mean it it was something I really feared, and the other thing I feared was a mine. Mm-hmm. Of course, the uh, second one got me, but uh, you know another really interesting book I did was called Almost a Great Escape. Uh, there, there was a Steve McQueen movie called The Great Escape. Yeah. And uh, this was this was a true story. I mean, a, a true story that when the writer's mother died, she left him a box of letters and uh, pictures. And, you know, his he never really understood his mother. Uh, you know, she was in a bad marriage and so forth. But these, the what was in the box was more about her life when she was a young, vibrant woman. And when she was uh, in, a, uh, in her 18 or 19, you know, she dated uh, a Norwegian guy who was a fighter pilot or was in fighter pilot training in Canada. And he was actually turned out to be, uh name was Jens, I forget his last name, but there were that escape that they were talking about in the movie, uh, there were 73 guys, I think, that got out. And three made it to uh, freedom, actually got out of Germany. Uh, 50 were killed on the road, and the rest were captured. And uh, that was, uh, she dated that guy. Hmm. And, you know, it's, it's like one of those what if. You know, because he was really Mr. Superhero. That uh, he was—he could do just about anything. And his father was a real jerk. But if she would have married Jens, he wouldn't have been around. You know, <laughs> type of thing. But it was a uh, uh, fascinating book. It, you know, true story. Right. Now, Mike, you mentioned earlier that you were some type of engineer in Silicon Valley before you became an auctioneer. I was a right. I was a sales engineer, which meant I was just I, I sold printed circuit boards. And you know, this gets back to uh kind of like what we're you know, at that time Apple Computer was one of my customers and they bought things mm-hmm. and uh, you know they, there were people who worked for them making things. And uh, so, you know, I, I worked in the Silicon Valley right when the, uh, at a very good time when the personal computer was just coming out. I think there were probably about 25 or 30 uh, manufacturers of personal computers that were going for it, you know. But uh, that's what I did was I sold uh, circuit boards in the Silicon Valley, and I could kind of see the writing on the wall as uh Things started going offshore, and it's like my job was going to go away. And I'd always wanted to be an auctioneer, and I, you know, because I had my disability retirement from the army, I was able to survive uh, until I started doing well as a auctioneer. But I decided I was going to go to auction school, and um, that's what I did, you know. But I, I think I was uh, sales, en- you know, salesman basically. I wasn't really an engineer; just okay. calling the. Uh, so part of the motivation for getting you involved in your first voiceover role, work as an auctioneer, was the, the economic considerations. Well, w- what was going on? Well, yeah, that, uh, that's what was going on. And 
another thing I did, my, my son was very involved in uh, bicycle, BMX, bicycle motocross. And I got, you know, they, one day the announcer didn't show up. And they said, hey, you got a deep voice. Why don't you announce? I don't know if I can do that or not. Well, <laughs> I, you know, hey, it didn't take me long to get that microphone in my hand. And I was just, whoa, <laughs> wish I get wow. paid for doing this. <laughs> and eventually you did. <laughs> well, yeah, eventually, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it was always kind of a dream, you know, I always wanted, yeah, well, everybody wants to be on radio, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, and this just is the venue that, uh, life has pretty much chosen for me and, uh, I'm loving it. I mean, it just, you know, because it, uh. I'm an old guy. I wasn't talking to you. This is my real voice. I'm actually 73 years old. You realize that? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Four score, less seven. So, but yeah. anyhow, you know, as an old person, yeah. it's something I can do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you break into um, the auctioneering world. You, 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 you become a solid earner in that realm. And then eventually you migrate over to audiobooks. But, and, and of course, you know, you've got your hundreds of titles that you've done since you started in audiobooks. But what I want to know is can you tell us sort of how you got involved with publishing audiobooks by other voice actors? Because, you know, audiobooks by Mike Vendetti has. I I can't even count the number of titles you guys have. We I I I I, I can I can I can tell you, <laughs> nine hundred and twenty-five. Yes, sir. Nine, oh man, you're yeah. about to hit the one grand mark. You know, I I, I want to hit it before Halloween. I think it will because I've got about thirty-five that are uh, waiting to be published. You know that I've uploaded to Audible, but okay. how I got into uh, you know publishing for other people is that I let some, uh, you know, being on the, the different discussion boards and so forth, I got on there and said, hey, I'm a publisher. So what? You know, but uh, I did publish a few audiobooks for uh, people I knew. And, uh, you know, and, and you know the, the social media thing is, is so great. I get on Facebook and, uh, you know, there's, there's all these, uh, audiobook narrators and so forth that are on Facebook mm -hmm. at, and, um, mm -hmm. uh, I kind of make what I have available because it's, it, it, it's a little, it's a lot different. Well, you know, like these, I'm doing, these are primarily books that are in the public domain. Now to go into a public domain, a title had to be published before 1923 or if it, uh, the title, the copyright was not renewed after a 28-year period, then uh, it goes into public domain. But, you know, there are a lot, a lot of works in public domain. And some of them are really good. And they are uh, proven works, like uh, that, uh, you know, they, people know that they, they do sell. And... Uh, so I, I, I make this available. I says, hey, you know, pick a work in the public domain. Uh, if you record it, you own it. You own the copyright to it. And I will publish Absolutely. it for you if you can meet the same standards that are required on ACX. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have taken advantage of this. At, uh, Glenn Haskell, for example, 
Uh, Glenn sends me a short story, maybe two short stories, almost every day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that probably takes him maybe a half hour to do. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you, you put a lot of these things out. You know, a lot of them don't sell. But, you know, take, for example, the uh, Art of War. That one really sold. And uh, that is, uh, you know, that is a good thing. You know, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of like there was a, a book out called The Long Tail. And if you picture a graph with your blockbusters on the left-hand side, it goes way up. And then it comes down until you've got just a kind of a really flat line. And that is the tail. And were it not for the Internet, uh, those titles would never make it to a uh, bookshelf or to a, you know, on a bookstore. But uh, because it it doesn't cost anything to put things there, uh, you know, it... uh, it works well. I mean, it. Uh, some of these don't make a lot. You know, some of them just sell one, and others sell, uh, you know, hundreds. I was really amazed when I got my first check from Audible. It was seven hundred and fifty dollars. I said, "Oh my God!" Because I was expecting, you know, five dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, and then yeah. there there are more and more people who want to get into voiceover. They're like. Uh, David Stifel, one of my narrators, is an actor. I mean, he's been—he was at graduated from the Yale School of Drama, and so forth. And he's—he's—he's uh, he's done a lot of parts. And he says, "Oh yeah, that—that's that guy back there," you know. And he was in—I uh, kind of tease him about it. I says, "Yeah, you were the dead guy in episode six of True Detective." You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he played that part pretty. It, it, that that was a method uh, role for him, I, I guess. I'm guessing, right? Well, I I don't know. You know, it, it took him two weeks to do it, <laughs> and he got scale and had to get a haircut. You know, because the way the wig they put on, his hair stuck out of it. But you know, the only yeah. thing is, he laid there, and they they. That, I don't know if you saw True Detective, but I mean, that was really. I did. Oh, it, that was very good. Well, you remember when the guy bent over the dead guy and says, "Would you like a drink of water, sweetheart?" Ooh, that, which episode was that? Episode six. That was the last one, episode six. But the dead guy was David. David didn't say anything, but he was just uh, laying there. Right. Okay. I'm gonna now see. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go back and watch episode six now. Yeah. Yeah. Just to check that out. Okay. Okay. So, Mike, we've arrived at the point of the program where we want to play a little free association game with you. Uh oh. Oh, they did. They did this at the VA, and they wouldn't let me out. But uh, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be fun. Okay. So I want to give you a word or name, a list, a series of words or names, and I just we want you to respond as quickly as you can with the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Bill Gates. Oh, Bill Gates, Microsoft. You know, it's it's like I think of. Every time I, I switch on my Windows 8, which I hate, I think of Bill Gates. Okay, John McCain. John McCain. You know, John McCain was, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think of him as a prisoner of war, as a lieutenant commander in the Navy, and eventually a captain. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think of John McCain as a very, very brave person. Audible.com. Audible.com. Love them. They are the ones that... Uh, 
Publish my audiobooks. General Petraeus. General Petraeus, it, uh, you know, it's, guys present a persona, you know, as to what they are. But, you know, it, to get to that level uh, in the military, you have to have one huge ego. And, you know, there was, there was a saying in OCS, do something, if, even if it's wrong, candidate. And that's one trait of a, of a general. And also the same thing with McCain is they make quick decisions. They make a decision and they stick to it. And he may have made the wrong one, but uh, he did it. You know, I mean, it's, I have a lot of respect for the guys that went to the uh, military academy. ISIS. <laughs> it's, well, they, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to repeat this, okay? But it was something I posted on, on uh, Facebook that had to do with sheep. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Broncos. Oh, Denver Broncos, yes, yes. I'm, I'm out here in Colorado. We love the Broncos. <laughs> Royalty share. Uh, royalty share, you've got to be careful with royalty share because uh, some of the uh, things that royalty share, share, you will never or collect very, very few royalties. But uh, it's like having an annuity. If you do enough of them, some of them are going to pay off. I kinda, Scott Brick. Scott Brick. The first audiobook I ever listened to was our friend Scott Brick. And they were just coming out then. It was, uh, this book was The Omnivore's Dilemma. Scott is, Scott is one of the big guys. You know, that, that is, everybody would like to be like Scott Brick. Just show up, sit down in the booth, record, and get paid. And go. You know, I, I, had a, I had a friend. Okay, I'm getting kind of off the t- topic. Can I get it? Can I do this? That's okay. Okay. Sure. I, you know, uh, one of my mentors as an auctioneer was Ferris Rogers. First time I ever saw Ferris Rogers, he was selling Fred Astaire's shoes on television. But mm-hmm. Ferris was a contract auctioneer. And, you know, and this is pretty much what Scott Brick is. I mean, he's a contract, but he gets paid. It's like Ferris would show up at the auction, he'd take a leak. He'd tell you how, how great he was. He'd pick up his check. He'd call the auction, take a leak, and go home. And that is kind of the way that, uh, you know, it's, you can be a, a, a person who can demand uh, to be paid for what you do. And uh, if you can't do that, then you're doing royalty share. But Scott Brick and, uh, you know, a few narrators who are well-known uh, and do their job extremely well are going to be paid for, you know, get doing it. You know, they, they get... Uh, it's not revenue share. You're getting paid per finish hour, which is great. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay, and finally, Audi Awards. The Audis, I would like, I would love to have an Audi, but, uh, you know, I just don't travel much anymore. I don't even know if I'd go to New York if I won one. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mike, for spending your time with us on the weekend. Uh, we really appreciate it. And tell us now, if, if any, any of our listeners out there, a lot of our listeners are voice actors, and, and if any of them were interested in narrating a book in the public domain and having you 
uh, distributed. What, what, what sort of advice or, or guidance c could you provide to them? Keep your day job. Actually, <laughs> no, actually, it's, uh, you know, well, what I do is uh, royalty share because audio, um, uh, Audible pays me once a quarter. And I pay my narrators as soon as I get paid. And I pay them about 80% of what Audible pays me. Well, I pay them 80% of what Audible pays me, which is a, a, a really good deal. The only thing is if you're going to do uh, something from the public domain, uh, check and make sure that it's something that uh, you feel will sell. Uh, there's nothing like spending doing a 16-hour audiobook that is never going to have a chance of selling. But, I mean, you know, and the other thing is uh, because... A, since a book is in a public domain, there is no, uh, uh, I mean, I'll publish more than one. I've got uh, several titles that are published, same title, but it's narrated by different people. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like a book where uh, you do this book and it's you and the book are married forever. Uh, public domain does not work that way. So, uh and then just uh, get a hold of me, get on my Facebook account or whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it's like I don't want to be a launching uh, ground for new narrators. I mean, I, I would love to, but uh, can't really do that. It's, I need things that are, are pretty much ready to go because I'm a one-man operation. And uh, if they can produce an audiobook or they have produced audiobooks on ACX you know, or they have done royal... Uh, pay per finished hour for say like if Scott Brick were to get a hold of me I would be happy to publish his audiobook he wouldn't get paid right away but uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty much I'm, I'm like eBay I'm your platform if you list something on eBay eBay is just a platform that puts it out there for other people to see and since I have a contract with audible.com uh, I can put it on audible audible is the only game in town as far as audiobooks are concerned that is true. And, uh, you know, that, that's one of the uh, things about the Internet. Uh, you know, I was when I was in San Jose, I was right up the street from uh, eBay. And, uh, you know, they got there first, and it's uh, audible as uh, being an Amazon company. is uh, Nobody is going to replace them in the near future that I can see. And they're going to be continue to be the only game in town because that they own the game. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, you mentioned that uh, people could contact you through your Facebook page. How, how do they find you or your, do you also have a website or how can they, how can they keep up with what's going on with Mike Vendetti? MikeVendetti.com. Okay. And can you spell that for us? That's uh, M-I-K-E-V-E-N-D-E-T-T-I.com. Okay, and they can. And your email address is is on that site. Some. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm Mike at mikevendetti.com, or I'm Mike at a number one dot com. So you'd probably be best at Mike at mikevendetti.com. A number one. Yeah, right. you know, I, you know, hey, I, I, I've been in this game so long. I went out and bought some domains, <laughs> and you know, one of my favorite movies was uh, Emperor of the North. Uh, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, just. Uh, can't remember who the actors were, but uh, it was uh, you know a number one, and I, I really like that. So it's it's the letter A 
N-U-M-B-E-R, and then the numeral one.com. Okay. Mike at a number one.com. That's easy to remember. That's very easy to remember. Yep. Top shelf. Mm -hmm. That's a top shelf email address right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, and, uh, you know, not not to sound too uh, trite here, Mike, but uh, I do want to thank you for your service to the country. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. It was... uh, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, at that time, it was, uh, you know, that's what you did. I mean, it was, uh, I grew, I, I remember John Wayne, you know, I mean, it was, uh, so thank you for thanking me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now, um, I was hoping, Mike, that I could talk you into playing us out with maybe a little uh, little auction here. You know, maybe pretend your mic is up for sale and uh, I'm one of the buyers in the audience. And, uh, you know, you, you, you just give us what you got. Maybe I'll throw some bids your way and, and, and we'll just we'll just we'll just play out the show with that. How does that sound? Well, there's uh, you know, we can do a, a Hawaiian auction. We can do several different kind of auctions. Uh, art is so now explain what a Hawaiian auction is. Oh, a Hawaiian auction. That's where your filler, filler word is hula bid. Hula bid, yes. I'm at 75 here now. Hula bid 80. 80 dollar bid now. Hula bid 85. Would you bid 85? Would you give me 85? On him, I'm at 85. And hula bid 90. Hula bid 90. 90 there now. 95. Would you go 95? 92. Don't give me 92. It's 92 and a half. <laughs> now a 93.75 to the other guy. Thank you. Now we are at 95. 95. 95. No, you can't. It's not your turn. I got the other guy oh. at 95. Now a hundred. Already in the lead. No, no, you're behind. You're behind. Uh, okay. You need to be a hundred. You can't see me raise my hand. So I can't I'll just say a hundred. Yeah, you're at a hundred. There now, one twenty-five, one twenty-five, one twenty-five bid. Now two and a quarter, two and a quarter, now two and a half, two and a half, now two seventy-five. We don't even know where we're at now, do we?